It's Wednesday, January 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer. Joining me in studio, we have Matt Argersinger and Jason Moser from Million Dollar Portfolio. Guys, Happy New Year and all that good stuff. Happy New Year. Year. Indeed. I'm working through a bit of a cold, so you know. I think we all are. A little husky, a little raspy. This is the congested episode. Yeah, this is. This is the congested episode. Post holiday blues. (laughs) Well, as part of this episode, we're going to talk some Amazon um, later in the show and a real surprising prediction that someone made about who Amazon might buy next. So just just let that just kind of marinate for a while, and let's go ahead and start with um, more news about the new tax law and companies paying bonuses. Uh, Matt, this time news that American Airlines and Southwest both announcing plans to give employees a one thousand dollar bonus due to the new tax law that came out on Tuesday. That announcement. Um, now, Matt, there's been a lot of speculation about how companies might use their tax savings. We're starting to get some evidence based on these bonuses. Southwest also saying that they're going to exercise an option to buy 40 jets from Boeing. What do you make of it all? Well, you know, this this comes on the heels of I think news from Wells Fargo doing something similar. A few other companies, American Express, I think, was also paying kind of one-time bonuses to employees. You know, these these are nice, and hey, no one's going to. No one's going to complain about getting an extra thousand dollars in a paycheck. I just something like this though reeks of a little public relations opportunism. You know, hey, we're we're, we got we got a big corporate tax break, so let's do something nice in the short term for our employees. Hey, it 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 certainly helps the the image. It helps the CEO. It's a nice story. This kind of stuff though is not in the long term doesn't isn't going to mean a lot. I think for workers or for how corporations employ capital. I think why this could be a little different, and why we might see more hiring and more investment going forward, is because, hey, there's been a permanent change to the corporate tax rate. It's down to 21% from 35%. And so, if I'm the CFO of a company, of any company, especially a growing company in the U.S., I'm not spending a lot of time now looking for tax havens abroad or fishing for loopholes in the tax code where I can, you know, make more on the bottom line. Because now, essentially, I live in a tax haven in the U.S. And so. I feel like that we're going to see a lot more evidence as the, as the year goes on about more investment. You know, not all not all of it. And I know Jason's going to make a point. Not all of it's going to be really effectively in hiring or raising wages or things like that that we'd like to see. But I think it is going to have a real positive impact on um, on corporations and on employees going forward. Well, that's interesting because a lot of the speculation, Jason, leading up to the passage of the tax bill, there were a number of surveys and a lot of people speculating that these companies are primarily going to take those tax savings and use them for share buybacks and maybe to hike dividends. And Matt, you seem to be saying maybe not, not so fast. There. I think that's going to be. I think that's I think that's going to be good, and I think that's going to be great for shareholders like us or investors like us. Uh, but I do think because there's been a permanent change in the tax code versus previous times when we've had sort of temporary, uh, you know, special tax uh, one-year tax things that you could do, it is going to have an impact. Now it might not be as great as, and I do think a lot of those a lot of those new dollars are going to go to buybacks and dividends. But I think there is going to be some meaningful reinvestment in business yeah, going I, forward as well. I, I don't disagree. I mean, I feel like uh, we're going to see a little bit of a lot of it. I mean, I think you have to go back and look at 
um, look at history to sort of, of give us some ideas of, of what might be done with this money. If you go back to 2004, uh, where there was a tax holiday, it was a part of the American Jobs Creation Act. Facts that uh, went back and put some numbers together, and overwhelmingly, that tax holiday, that that money was used for share buybacks and for dividends, whether they be special dividends or or increases into the regular dividend. And so that's that's great. I mean, as an investor, you know, generally speaking, you got to feel pretty good about that. Now. The flip side of that is we also see the numbers sort of bear out over time that companies usually do a pretty crappy job at share buybacks, right? They buy back when the stock is at all-time highs, and then when the bottom falls out, they really, they really, uh, you know, tighten the purse strings, so to speak. And really, you kind of want to see them take advantage of those buybacks when the stock is just uh, cratering, more or less. And that can be a little bit of a difficult thing to do sometimes because perhaps you know these companies don't necessarily have these vast financial. Resources. I think that we're going to see a lot of these these vast financial resources open up here with this tax holiday or with this new tax structure coming in. And I think, uh, to me, I look at these one thousand dollar bumps that all of these companies are offering. And yeah, on the surface, it's great. It does offer some good publicity. It's a wonderful headline for these companies. A little bit of a tip of the cap to a lower tax rate uh, makes everybody feel good. And certainly, uh, it, it it gets folks on both sides of the argument. Arguing a little bit more, um, it is just a drop in the bucket, though, right? It's a drop in the bucket. It's a one-time thing, and it really doesn't tell us what they're going to do beyond that. We'd love to see them spend more money. Uh, the only only thing that's going to really tell us that is hindsight, though. Looking back and actually seeing if actions uh, do in fact speak louder than words. Uh, but I mean, I think that Matt made a good point there. This does it gives a lot of CFOs their typical mandate is to figure out how to minimize that tax rate. They don't have to focus as much, at least, on that. I mean, I think they're going to continue to try to figure out how to get that tax rate even lower because, generally speaking, oh, yeah. people don't want to pay taxes. I get that, uh, but uh, by the same token, I mean this is going to give them a little bit more transparency, a little bit more of an ability to plan uh, for the future, and I think that could ultimately be a good thing. Part of the dilemma here is. U.S. corporations, in particular, didn't need this. I mean, if you look at the balance sheets of most U.S. corporations, great shape. I mean, lots of cash. You know, very low cost debt. Um, you know, whether or not you had a 35 percent tax rate or a 21 percent tax rate, it was fine. They were making plenty of money. So, I think one thing you will see, um, in addition to buybacks and dividends for sure, and maybe a little hiring, a little bit of capital investment, is I think you are going to see now more acquisitions. Two reasons for that, because we're looking for returns now. Corporations are flush, lower tax rate. Where am I going to get the returns? If I can't get it from reinvesting in the business or R&D, new capital investment, or even hiring, I'm going to look where I can make acquisitions to add to the to the business. And two, we have you know I don't want to delve into politics at all here, but from reading conference calls lately, interviews with CEOs, there is a there is at least a sense that the the climate is more business friendly. This administration for all it's worth, is a little more business-friendly. And so, the idea of doing big corporate deals, unless there's some kind of angle there that our president, our favorite president doesn't like, <laughs> probably going to get the green light. And so, I do think you, you'll... And that's in, we are kind of in the later stages of bull market as well. You're going to see some big acquisitions in 2018. may even be a record year for it. And let's pivot to the two companies here that we're talking about, Southwest and American Airlines. Matt, I know in in the past year you've had some bullish things to say about airlines. So, what do you think about the airlines going forward? I I think it's a great time to be interested in buying or investing in airlines. Um, I think 
you know, for reasons I've said before, the consolidation we've seen, the the time they've taken to improve their balance sheets, the pricing power that they have now, the the hub and spoke routes that have sort of been made more efficient in the, in the uh, for airports and things like that. It just favors the big four airlines in the U.S. And so when I see things like Southwest announcing that they're buying, you know, executing a contract to buy, uh, you know, I forget what it was, how, how many more planes from Boeing. Delta made a big deal with Airbus recently to buy new planes. You know, it's th- these are big investments they're making because they see the they see the opportunities, they see the pricing power that they have, they see a future where oil prices aren't going to really crush them anymore. It's I'm a big fan of uh, investing in airlines right oh, now. Okay, well, this may be totally unfair, but I have some breaking news <laughs> that may weigh on your investment Uh-oh. thesis. Okay, this is courtesy of CNBC.com. Quote Alaska Airlines is calling in an exterminator after the company says a rat boarded one of its planes at Oakland International Airport in California and forced it to cancel the flight. Ooh. Man, I, you know, I'm recessing the thesis right now, Mac. <laughs> now, what strikes you as odd about that sentence? Because I've been <laughs> obsessed with this story. Let me read it again. Alaska Airlines is calling in an exterminator after the company says a rat boarded one of its planes. <laughs> Can a rat board a plane? Doesn't boarding suggest permission and intent? Yeah. It does seem it does seem strange. I mean, did he just go through customs? He went through the luggage, or you went through? He you know, jumped the... on the plane <laughs> from the jetway. But you can't board a plane, can you? Unless you intend to. Yeah. And someone gives you permission. It sounds well, like. Well, I don't know that permission is necessary. I think so. Right? Can People a rat board, board a plane? Market foolery at fool dot com. That's the question. Let us know. I don't think. I think that's the wrong word. <laughs> I think that's. It's not Stuart Little here. He's not like getting his rat boarding was pass. Found. Yeah, I mean, boarding the plane that that really sort of implies that someone saw him, and, and then I mean, you're letting a rat on the plane. I mean, come on. No. Here's a question: If I, yeah. but if I'm a passenger, snuck on a plane, snuck, yeah, yeah. If I'm, jumped if on I'm a, a passenger plane, now, sure. is the stormed a plane? There you go. Is the plane now not moving because there's a rat there? And the poor passengers no, have they to wait for an the flight. They pulled everyone oh, off. No way. And yeah, no, I love this. Uh, Alaska Airlines says it will resume using the plane when a professional exterminator. Certifies that it is rodent free. <laughs> I guarantee you. Like, if you ask, if you ask ninety five percent of the passengers on that plane, and they said, "Hey, we can either fly with a rat on board, no way, or we can cancel." You wouldn't fly with a rat no, on board because he could chew through like the cables. Oh my no gosh! Way. I, I, I mean, if it's like Stuart Little, if he truly boarded the plane and he's got a little carry on and he's well behaved, that's fine. But most rats. So you're saying aren't you that. would? You're, 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 let's see, you're flying. You're flying home after the holidays or for the holidays. No, you got to think you what gotta, the rat could do. He could get in the cockpit and oh, like chew yeah. through like the the autopilot. All or right. Something. I, guess I don't that's know. True. Not that that's you can true. chew through the autopilot, but I'm just thinking. I'm thinking it just takes one cable. That's true. It's better than a scorpion. I mean, a few a few months back, I mean, there were reports of a scorpion that was found on a plane, and, and that to See? me, like, I, I you know that that makes a rat a little bit more tolerable. I could do the scorpion. Oh, no. I, I would think... do the scorpion before the rat. I'd have to. There'd have to be like a dozen snakes on a plane before I'd be like cancel my flight. I but let's go not home. lose focus here. The, okay. the the issue here is that a rat. I don't think a rat can quote board a plane. I think oh. boards suggest permission and intent. Yeah, I this agree. is important. Need they probably need to fire the employee that actually let the the rat board. Well, exactly. That, that's what you're telling me. Then again, if the rat had the wherewithal to like, you know, buy a ticket and present his boarding pass in oh, a timely a fashion. Rat. There you go. Okay, so moving on. It's so unfair. That doesn't change your thesis. No, on no, airlines. I'm still, still bullish on airlines. Okay. Yeah. So let's move on to Amazon. According to a new report, Amazon was responsible for around forty-four percent of all US e-commerce sales last year. Um, that works out to about four percent of the country's total retail sales. Those numbers, courtesy of analytics provider OneClick Retail. 
Jason, mm-hmm. what do you make of those numbers? I have to believe they are spot on, though I would have probably guessed, based on the number of Amazon boxes that ended up on my doorstep this holiday season, that number would have probably been a little bit higher. But 4% seems kind of low to me. It does seem a little bit low, but I think that uh, we were talking about this before taping it. That 4% probably, and we're trying to figure out whether or not this is, in fact, the case, but I think that includes all retail sales, yeah. including things like fuel and restaurants, which are all included in that number. Exactly. So, if you take those things out, because Amazon doesn't really sell those kinds of things, I think it's closer to 8%. But for now, if you're talking about the total U.S. retail sales, so everything, fuel sales, restaurant sales, sales of cars, 4%. So, yeah, and I mean, yeah. when you look at the fast growers, uh, I mean, the, you know, the, the the parts of the business that are growing more quickly than others, I mean, it's impressive to see. I mean, these guys are selling a lot of stuff, whether it is uh, groceries or even luxury beauty. I mean, you, you think about things like we talked before about Ulta on our watch list on in MDP, and, and just Amazon was certainly cited as a potential threat there. Uh, but but I think when you look at the grocery opportunity alone, and this obviously uh, goes back to their Whole Foods acquisition, uh, total estimated grocery sales came in about one and a half billion dollars in 2017 for Amazon. Now let's think about this for a second. Total supermarket sales in 2016 were around 670 billion dollars, and that's a really low margin business. Okay, so they're only just they're only scraping the surface there of the opportunity, and I think this Whole Foods acquisition. Is really going to uh, pay dividends for a long time to come, but just because that is such a repeat business, right? I mean, everybody's got to eat. Groceries are just one of those things, and so I mean, I think they have a real opportunity there, not only to grow the the grocery segment of the business, but also that that private label segment of the business where it's Amazon Basics. You get your charger cables or batteries, and man, I tell you, the one that really has grown uh, more quickly than anything else is baby wipes. And I mean, you think about how many baby wipes you go through with just one kid, not to mention two. Uh, apparently, Amazon Elements, their private label, their Amazon Elements and baby wipes are just—they're knocking it out of the park. Yeah, that such such good points. I mean, what what really struck out to me with the report is already what Jason mentioned, but things like luxury beauty up 47 percent from a year ago, pantry items up thirty eight percent, grocery up thirty three percent, furniture up thirty three percent. So if you look at these categories, I feel like five years ago. These were categories where consumers weren't looking for to Amazon for household staples, cosmetic products, grocery, and now they are. And I think that's there's a lot of reasons for that, but it just shows that there's been a broad expansion of Amazon's share of consumer wallet. And so, if if consumers are now looking to Amazon um, for these kinds of things, then you look at that four uh, percent total figure and you're like, that that's got to go higher because to Jason's point, there's still Tiny fractions of those total, what those total categories are worth in terms of total retail sales, and Amazon's just scratching the surface. And Jason, you mentioned the Whole Foods acquisition. I want to ask you about another acquisition. Um, tech analyst turned VC Gene Monster came out this week predicting Amazon will buy Target in 2018. Um, he cited two reasons. He said the shared demographic and the manageable but comprehensive store count for Target. What do you think? Does an Amazon does Amazon buying Target does that make sense to you? Uh, I mean, personally, to me, no, not really. I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, completely dismiss the potential of it happening. I mean, Gene's obviously a smart guy. It sounds like a little bit of a 
a reckless prediction, so to speak. And I mean, we we love and we don't do that on this show. No, never. (laughs) You know, but um, I mean, I think you know, it's one thing to suggest, and, and I think there is. A point to be made there in regard to the demographic. I mean, that is a shared demographic, right? It's the human race, essentially. I mean, everybody from from A <laughs> to Z, they go they go to Target and they use Amazon. So I, I mean, the demographic thing is probably a little bit less compelling to me. But I think you know when you talk about a manageable store base, I mean that you know manageable doesn't that doesn't strike me as being a reason. To acquire a business like Target, I mean that that is essentially an acquisition that would be more than twice the size of the Whole Foods acquisition alone, and and you don't want to hear on the call, Amazon management saying, well, you know, we know it's a big deal, but we feel like at least it's a manageable store base, and we could probably kind of figure it out. And and I feel like this would be on top of the Whole Foods acquisition, such a big and probably unnecessary acquisition. I I would bet against it. But by the same token, I mean I'm not laughing him out of the room. I mean I think Amazon has a million different ways to run, and honestly, I would rather see Walmart and Target separate, and I want to see them succeed because as we've talked about before, their success basically keeps antitrust off of Amazon's backs. Absolutely. And so for Amazon investors, you'd rather see those companies stay stay on their own anyway. I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely. I, I I don't think this a deal like this makes sense. I, I you know what what if you look at why Amazon acquired Whole Foods. It really wasn't because Whole Foods has 300 grocery stores around the country. It really was because they are acquiring um, one a white label food brand that Whole Foods has, and just to to really boost the grocery inventory uh, on Amazon Fresh, uh, and that that made sense to me. Buying Target, if you look at Amazon's network of fulfillment centers across the country now, I mean that to me is the only angle, the reason you'd buy a, a Target is for inventory and distribution purposes, and Amazon has that now nationwide. So I and do they really want even though it's a Quote manageable store count. I really don't think Amazon's interested in acquiring tens of thousands of employees. You know all these you know retail locations that they now have to manage. To, it, it just it, it seems like it would add too many headaches. It's, it's just unnecessary. Yeah, I mean that's we point to a metric all the time with internet businesses, Amazon, Wayfair, whatever revenue per employee, right? Oh, and I mean yeah. they just they score because they're able to make so much more money per employee because they're relatively more capital light. They don't have to manage as many people in as many facilities. So it, I mean I do agree that. Amazon is looking to get a little bit more of a bricks and mortar presence. Target seems to be a bit of a bigger one than I think even Bezos would want to take on at this point. Okay, so a few months ago on Motley Full Money, Chris interviewed Scott Galloway. He's the NYU business professor. He's written this great book called The Four. Um, he predicted that Amazon would buy Whole Foods. And he, at the time, this is a few months back, he thought that the next logical acquisition for Amazon is Nordstrom. So, if you had to bet on either Amazon buying Target or Amazon buying Nordstrom, what are you betting on? I have to bet on one. Yeah, Nordstrom for sure, because I think Nordstrom is provides something that Amazon's looking to get more into. If you look at the you know their growth in luxury beauty or their growth in fashion apparel, Nordstrom is a little bit more of a, a window angle into that world. But and malls are dying. Though. Malls That's are dying. No, malls are dying. But I think Nordstrom has a particular following, a particular. Quality and and class to it that I think Amazon's interested in breaking into because I think when people think of you know high end fashion or luxury apparel or, or really fancy department stores they probably just don't think of Amazon right now or Amazon's brand but they would I think with a Nordstrom um, so I definitely go for that over 
over a target. Yeah, I mean, it would easily be a far more manageable acquisition. I mean, considerably manageable, smaller much more than, manageable, considerably smaller <laughs> than Target. Uh, and Amazon is is making uh, inroads in into fashion. Uh, but with that said, I, I I really don't see either one of those companies becoming a part of the Amazon family anytime soon. I mean, as a shareholder, I certainly wouldn't want to see that happen anytime soon. I mean, I think that would just be a silly use of capital, honestly. Yeah, the story. The story with Amazon, I think, is, and I agree. I just don't think buying a big, another big brick and mortar uh, operation is the right thing to do. The story for me with Amazon, I think Jason and I talk about all the time, is just that it's the value that customers are placing on their time now versus price. So, you know, if I can find something on Amazon that is even more expensive, and I have to pay a little more for shipping, but it'll come to my store or come to my house, and I don't have to get in my car, drive, park. Deal with people to buy something. Um, I just feel like people in general, customers in general, but particularly younger generations who grew up buying things online, convenience is so much time and convenience is so much more important to them than cost. You know, they're not going to drive ten miles to save ten percent, even if Walmart or Target or anywhere else has a cheaper option. And so that to me is why I look at this four percent total U.S. retail sales number, and for so many reasons, and particularly that. It's got to go higher. Yeah, and honestly, I tell you, the one acquisition that I I would like to see before any of those, and it goes back to the performance that they chalked up here in in furniture in 2017, somewhere in the neighborhood of one and a half billion dollars in furniture sold on Amazon. Wayfair is is clearly a a big winner in this space, and they have done a lot of good things here over the past few years since they went public. Uh, they're chalking up more than four billion dollars in sales annually, and that's growing at a rapid clip. And I think there are a few reasons for that. But if you look at Wayfair, I mean, yeah, the stock price is detached from the fundamentals of the business. Okay, we're in a big bull market, and that's the case with a lot of businesses. But I mean, Wayfair is they're they're taking a lot of plays out of the Amazon pay, uh, playbook. You know, I mean, they're doing a lot of the same things that Amazon kind of did um, in building out the the fulfillment distribution. And it's it's a relatively capitalized business because essentially it's a network just connected. Furniture suppliers all over the country. And the reason why I think Wayfair does so well is because, truthfully, the shopping experience on Wayfair is superior to that of Amazon. I mean, if you're looking for furniture, shopping on Wayfair is a better experience than shopping for furniture on Amazon. I know we've been doing this for the past year, Mac. We just moved, and I've told you we bought a vanity, we bought a toilet, and now I'm getting emails from Wayfair every day about wanting to buy another vanity and another toilet. I'm trying to figure out how many, how many houses these guys think I have. But <laughs> I think that would be a business that would be a very manageable acquisition that I think would really fit nicely in with the distribution and fulfillment that Amazon already has, as well as the, the distribution and fulfillment that Wayfair has built out. Uh, two very similar businesses focusing on very similar markets. I think it would be complementary. I truthfully was a little surprised that Amazon didn't buy them before they went public, but that would be a deal I would much rather see as opposed to Nordstrom or Target. Yeah, it's like a you know if you think about the Zappos deal or the Diapers.com deal, it's one where mm-hmm. Amazon sees a niche retailer doing something much more effectively than yep. they can go in and buy it. It makes much more sense. Well, we will keep an eye on it. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Thanks, Mac. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.